Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. This is part two of this two-part series with Mike Church on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. And that's really what charity is to me. It's not a government, a federal government, sticking a gun to my head and saying, I'm stealing money from you, the product of your labors, in order to support people who will end up voting for me because they're eternally dependent upon me. Yeah, well, again, the acknowledgement of that is, I think, is good enough to, it's good enough for me that that will then lead to solutions. That will lead to, to dealing with the issue and dealing with the problem. Is it a foolproof plan? No, it's not. Um, but the government plan to deal with it is also not foolproof. As a matter of fact, it's squandered somewhere on the order of 13 trillions of dollars, I believe, in the endeavor, and we still have poor. So the war on poverty has not ended poverty. If anything, it's institutionalized it. And uh, I think, you know, to use 18th century speak, that's that's not something that characterizes the worthiness of free men that we've allowed or and that we continue to materially and mentally support something that's institutionalized what most people agree is a societal ill which is impoverishment of course our concept of poverty is not what the concept of poverty is when you leave these shores either well of course not <laughs> i mean the poorest person here lives far better than 98 percent of people on earth true and they don't appreciate that fact um, let me ask you another thing. People who want to do away with our Constitution, they say that it was written by a bunch of old white slave owners, wealthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, how do you answer a criticism like that? Well, these are the same people that I think would do away with the, the teachings of the Bible. And, as a matter, and they have done away with them. Absolutely. Uh, they, they won't even recognize uh, the, the teachings of Aristotle. They won't recognize the, the, the great speech of Cicero before they cut his tongue out. Um, 
Cicero said many of the same things that Jesus said. Uh, Cicero uh, was as public and popular an orator. I don't want to say that he was a god. I'm not in, in, intimating that, but he certainly had the attention of the Roman Senate and of the Roman people. And if you read Cicero today, you know, freedom says uh, uh, Cicero said freedom is access to power. That's what that's what that's what freedom is. Should we eradicate because uh, Cicero was an old white guy? I mean, do you just ignore? I mean, that is mightily, that is convenient to those that would replace the old white guy and what he said and what people ratified as our government with what today's current white guy would say ought to be our government. Now, if that particular individual can be successful in drafting a new plan of government, getting it through a uh, convention, getting it to be ratified, and then putting a union of states together to do it, well, then maybe he can have his way. Until such time, the Constitution is, in where, where it is exercising enumerated authority, is the supreme law of the land. So this is just another, one of the, uh, another of these arrogant, conceited efforts from people that have elected themselves as, as our ruling elites today, have appointed themselves. Um, they are smarter than we are, and you know, we need to live by their edicts to um, arrogantly dismiss any, anything that has happened in the past that doesn't comport with what they want the future to be. Again, that's a very dangerous proposition. I read the other day that in the Obama administration that they've come up with a new 2,000-page constitution. <laughs> of course, you have to pass it in order to find out what's in what's it. What's in it. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. You know, we've kind of lost a couple generations of young people in this country. And we're missing an important tool that we would need to get them back to educate them, and that is an independent, aggressive press. How do we solve that issue? We need, we need the press like they had in the 40s when the president did something, or even Nixon. They, we need a press that will climb all over the, the government and say, you can't do this, you can't do this, this is wrong, whatever. Where are we going to get that back again? Well, to quote Hamilton from the Federal Convention of 1787, he said, "People are, uh, are 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 ripening to monarchy. They 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 grow weary of the excesses of democracy." And what he was was saying was that too much of anything, too much of a good thing, uh, leads to unintended bad consequences. So the grand idea that everyone can be a reporter, everyone can run a news organization. Uh, the, all that is necessary to do that now is a internet connection and uh, access to a some kind of content management system, and uh, off you go. Um, the study of journalism is even where it's taught. It's not they're not actually taught journalism per se, or, or so much as they are taught advocacy. You know, we'll teach you a little bit about how to write, and they even do that poorly. But what's more importantly, we're gonna we're gonna teach you what to write about. Well, that's not the, 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 the press's job, the, the way I think it ought to be viewed, is not to determine what we ought to be talking about, but to report on what we're talking about. Um, and too, in too many instances today, and I think it's because there is such a large uh, amount of uh, press opportunities and press outlets, the, uh, the tendency today is 
is that bigger and more is better. Well, I don't think it is. Um, I think that journalism, just like any other field of study, takes study. And there are going to be people that are going to be really good at it and people that aren't. Um, one of the other things about, the, about a free press and trying to get it back, well, you'd have to then determine what is, uh, okay, what, is, what does free mean? Free from what? Are you free from responsibility from what, for what you wrote, from being inaccurate? Uh, I think largely today you are. That's a travesty. You, you, so the press can be free from some of the horrific mistakes. And I don't just mean the New York Times and Washington Post. You know, I'm talking about the other self-anointed press that makes egregious mistakes on a daily basis. Um, and I think people have to be very careful of who they rely upon for news, almost to the point where if <laughs> you're almost better gathering your own news then you are relying on someone else to get it unless you really have through experience trusted it. So I think uh, that we should always, okay, so to, to answer the question three minutes later, uh, trust but verify, as Reagan said, and approach the press not as a fountain of truth, but of, as a fountain of possible truths. Your duty as a citizen to ascertain whether or not those truths actually occurred or did not. And that is going to require less reading of opinion and more reading of fact. More, uh, more, importance, more importance placed upon the actual events as they actually occurred and not someone's interpretation of how they occurred. And, there, and the other component there is the press has made stars out of people and has made them press worthy, not because of any benefit to humanity, but because of benefit to shareholders and of benefit to profits. I'm not opposed to profits, and I don't propose that we outlaw that practice, but I think that a people that were more contemplative, humble, and virtuous would not be partaking of much of what we call press today uh, if they were... Uh, if they found themselves, as I said, in a more humble, virtuous state of existence. We have to take a quick break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More with Mike Church right after this. So the word would be accountability. Accountability is a real, well, that's, that's just kind of nebulous. <laughs> but accountability any... for government, accountability for the press. Sure. An actual individual accountability. You have to have accountability for your own actions. Yeah. Say you, uh, for example, say you read something somewhere and there is going to, oh, I don't know, there's, there's going to be a free giveaway of widgets at uh, Dr. Dan's radio show extravaganza at the Raleigh Convention Center. We're going to give widgets away. And, and you, you, you read it and uh, you're convinced and you really needed one of those widgets, so you come down here and sure enough, Dr. Dan has widgets, but he's not giving them away. Now, what if you decide that, well, that's, that's not my fault. You know, how do I know they weren't giving them away before? And you go ahead and take one, and you just take the widget, assuming that, you know, it's not the reporter that got it wrong, it's Dr. Dan that got it wrong. Who is going to be blamed for the incorrect statement of the widgets? 
the guy that stole them. You're gonna go. We're gonna go after the perpetrator. So did he exercise proper? Did he censor himself before he decided to act? I know that's a, probably a preposterous example, but there's not enough of um, Richard Fleming, the um, editor of Chronicles magazine, put in a very a very succinct sentence: obedience to the unenforceable. The reader of the material reacts to it. You're obedient to, I mean, no one can enforce you. It can't make you till you break the law. It can't make you do things. But if you're obedient to things that you shouldn't do, um, then you probably will research them and make certain that before you do something that it's correct. Then there's direct accountability. So you're not relying on the press to tell you what you can or cannot do. You've verified it, and you're now accountable. You have to do the moral and correct thing when no one's looking. That's right. That's right. And there's not many of our, very many of us that do that. <laughs> well, there may, we, we may do it. We probably don't rec- recognize or do it because we think it's moral. We just, well, even if someone weren't watching me, most people would probably conclude, uh, I'm not going to do that because, I don't know, somewhere somebody said I shouldn't. That's another part of the of recapturing any of that virtue, virtuous society. You'd have to be accountable then. You talked about accountability. Okay, in, in this instance, you, if you're morally accountable, accountable to who? Well, if you're morally accountable, you're accountable to God. That's right. So you're accountable to God. Um, or is the government accountable to God? No, it's replaced God in, in too many instances. And that's another part of the problem. Mike, I'm very happy that you've been able to be with me today, and I'd like to give you a copy of what I hope will be the first in a series of short DVDs on subjects that are important to everyone. This DVD is about the Second Amendment. I call it the Second Amendment, Constitutional Guarantor of Individual Freedom. The Second Amendment, Constitutional Guarantor of Individual Freedom. Yeah, I, uh, I've done a lot of work on the subject myself, and the uh, the conclusion that most indi- most people have reached is not the one that I think that was agreed upon until the 1960s or so. Or, well, I don't want to say nine. Probably at the end of Lincoln's uh, the, at the end of the Lincoln administration, the Second Amendment was beginning to turn. Well, what I, the tack I took in, in that video is to show in history what happens when you disarm people. Yes, that's a good point and to show. That is really what that is okay. about. Okay. Thank you very much. A lot of people are concerned about the future of our nation. So many things are happening that are detrimental to continuing as a free people in our nation. What is your view of the future of the United States as a constitutional republic. I'm very sad to see what's happening in this country. You well, know? don't and be sad. Be encouraged that people are turning out to Dr. Dan's forums and Mike Church shows and Nullify Now events. And uh, there's a lot of hope out there. We, we we can't be the ones running around with little dark clouds over our heads. Oh, woe is me. Wowsy, wowsy, woe. Be thankful to God that we have the opportunity. And we, I met you. You met me. I'm grateful. That you know, we do. We are finding people. We are finding common cause. Um, well, Michael Meharry said an interesting thing, and in that he feels that we can succeed in terms of nullification by small acts of noncompliance. 
pretty much like what the people in Fredericksburg, Virginia did that you spoke about this morning. But we have to be a lot more diligent, a lot more active in causing that to happen. He uses the example of Rosa Parks, which is an act of noncompliance. And although she suffered in the short term, the long-term result was phenomenal for her. For yeah, I wouldn't call that noncompliance. I'd call that civil disobedience. Similar. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, practiced that, preached it. Uh, and here's the great irony of all ironies. Okay, where did he... That was not his idea. That idea comes from the Summa Theologia. That is St. Thomas Aquinas, who was also a civil disobedient and wrote voluminously about civil disobedience and how that, a, you know, a just law, and uh, it's a very laborious thing, but if you read what Aquinas said about an unjust law and how you could tell Jeffrey between a just law and an unjust law, Aquinas said you are required to disobey an unjust law. You're, that's not an option. You are required to disobey it. So one of the greatest Catholic theologians to live agreed with Rosa Parks. <laughs> a lot has been said about the 14th Amendment. Scholars argue extensively about what the 14th Amendment means. We know there's a cloud over its ratification. One of the things that people are concerned about is whether the 14th Amendment eliminates state citizenship in favor of national citizenship. So what is the relationship between a state such as North Carolina and the U.S. government in terms of the people who live in the state of North Carolina? Uh, no, I don't think the 14th Amendment altered the, that relationship. Well, first of all, the 14th Amendment was never ratified legally. But Absolutely. second of all, the, the 14th Amendment, okay, here's the intent of the 14th Amendment, is to, is to grant due process of the state's laws to newly freed slaves. That's the express purpose of it is to see to it that those that were newly emancipated could seek redress of grievances and could seek access to laws to protect their private property, for example, after emancipation. That's what the 14th Amendment said. Um, the citizenship clause is, uh, is inserted in there so that states could not say that you can't be a citizen of this state because we say so. So they were amending the Constitution to say that, no, a naturalized citizen is one born in the, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, as I believe the way it's termed. And so that if a slave was subject to the jurisdiction of his master in Arkansas, for example, he was, his master was subject to the jurisdiction of Arkansas, he therefore is a citizen of Arkansas. Not the, not now, the United States was, was I think, when, was a foregone conclusion that they would be naturalized. But I think that, no, specifically referring to the jurisdiction of the states. 14th Amendment is aimed at the states to say, okay, this is what you've got to do with emancipated slaves. Well, we know that the 14th Amendment was not really properly ratified. No, it, it was ratified really by coercion. Um, and even then, still wasn't ratified. Even then, it still wasn't ratified. And, and the people who wrote that had no intention whatsoever of, of seeing anchor babies or national citizenship or anything else. What you stated is true. They were redressing a wrong created by the act of slavery, now relieved. 
Read the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and in the, uh, after the 14th Amendment is ratified. Read the Civil Rights Act of 1866 because there are limits to what Congress could have done and they could not have done anything remotely like what has been done in the name of the 14th Amendment today. And they didn't try because they knew that the 14th Amendment was not expansive. So, that's how I view that. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. In everything. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. <laughs>